the Paranet Podcast, a Dresden Files book club. Welcome to the Paranet Podcast with your hosts, me, Patrick Lunn, and me, Rob Davis. We have a brilliant show for you guys today. We are going to be covering chapters 21, 22, 23, and 24 of Grave Peril. But before we get on to that, we will do our normal para-networking section and continuing with our kind of uh, answering questions around the Dresden Files theme. Uh, Today, we are going to be sharing our unpopular opinions about the Dresden Files series. Um, This is based off a popular Reddit thread at the moment. Uh, If you search Dresden Files Reddit, it is the first thread that comes up. Um, uh, Me and Rob both took a a little look at that and then had a bit of a thought about our own. Uh, So, Rob, what is an unpopular opinion about the Dresden Files that you have? Um, I'm not sure if it's on the Reddit thread, but it's it's one that came immediately to me after you posted me the question. I don't like Susan. I don't like Susan at the moment, but I dislike her even more when she appears in book five onwards. Okay. Um, So I guess we'll give some spoiler warning uh, because we're probably going to end up talking a bit more about how Susan appears in later books. So, if you haven't read uh, on later into the Dresden Files series, just skip a, skip ahead uh, a little bit. Um, this is your final spoiler warning. Okay, so it, when we get to like changes, Rob, uh, do you think that continues like your dislike of Susan? Oh, definitely. Like when when I read the first page and it was like, oh, phone call from Susan. I was just like, oh no, please, please no. And I mean, the rest of the book was fine, but like, I know I just, some of her choices and decisions when she pops up in book five really annoyed me. And I'm not really sure why, nor can I remember at this point. I remember at the time it annoyed me. And when she reemerged in changes, it annoyed me then. And then every time she like popped up or like Harry was working with her, it pissed me off even more. So the outcome at the end of changes pleased me, not I know, pleased me a lot is probably the wrong way to go about it. Um, I was quite I, indifferent. I, can, I definitely feel like she's got the least development of kind of the the top tier background characters. Yeah, I I, I, I'm wondering like if... Like the ones that are closest to Harry. Yeah, I was wondering if maybe that's because she kind of drops in and out after this book. Like, to my memory, I think after this yeah. book, he pops up in uh, book five, Death Masks, I think. And I think that might be it until changes. I mean, I'm not sure if, if she does appear again before that, then I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, um, I I feel like when the series first started, she fulfilled a... A, like a noir archetype mm. um, in the like the spunky re- reporter um, 
but I think a lot of development that could have gone into her character instead went to other characters like Murphy. Yeah. Um, which is not a bad thing because let's be honest, people love uh, Murphy. A lot, a lot of people see, uh, love Murphy. Um, but I think, yeah, I, I think having her uh, killed off in changes um, and the impact that, that then had on Harry was much more um, interesting. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> and yeah, that's my um, opinion. So, um, yeah, what what about you? Did you... I'm quite interested. Yeah, so... So, uh, you're going to... You, you've kind of picked out a, a character that some people do seem to like um, that you don't. I'm going to pick out a character that I think some people don't like that I do, which is... Uh, my unpopular Dresden Files opinion is I think that Michael Carpenter is an interesting character. Whoa, hey now. Um, Who doesn't like Michael? I've seen from a few places, even Jim himself, claim that Michael Carpenter is a boring character. I mean, and that you wouldn't want to do a novel of, about him. I mean, I'd say he's used sparingly enough to not be boring. Yeah. I think that what is interesting about Michael Carpenter um, and something that Jim does play with with him quite a lot is the amount that his faith is tested Mm. um, and the way that he has to deal with like... Dresden can always choose to intervene no matter what if he doesn't agree with something. Michael Carpenter has to only fight on the side of right and he is bound by codes of honour and law and and all this. Um, I think that a Michael Carpenter story could work um, especially if it was dealing with more complicated issues because like if you're if you're a knight of the cross, you're very black and white. Um, it's very like this is good, this is bad, this is what I can stand against. But seeing Michael, I mean, something great about his appearance in um, in Grave Peril is seeing him having to kind of deal with fairies and vampires. But I'd love to lean more into that, um, and I think that that would be really interesting if they did a story where we saw when Michael dealt with um, one of the uh, other dragons, the like the ancient dragons. Yeah. Uh, we know that he's fought uh, several of them. If it turned out that, that the reason why dragons are so powerful is because they are incredibly manipulative um, and able to sway people and uh, able to work in shades of grey that the Knights of the Cross just can't. Um, like Michael can never lie to get into somewhere or pretend to be someone else. It always has to be like honesty and openness. Mm. Um, and, and I think that that's hard. I think that is hard. The other thing I'd really like to see is how Michael Carpenter deals with like fundamentalist Christians. Yeah. Um, or something like that. Like it would be really interesting to have a Michael Carpenter story where he had to go down, down South in America and, 
deal with like a vampire outbreak or something in a small, highly religious community, because then it would be like, I am kind of on the, the side of like the uh, pos- maybe the wrong people here or, or maybe more like racially insensitive people or stuff like that. Mm. Um, I guess, yeah, like I, I want to see how Michael Carpenter deals with living in Trump's America. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's I think that's that's probably my, my number one unpopular opinion. I think that Michael Carpenter is an interesting character. I don't think he's boring. I agree um, with you. But then I also think... Thank you. That's all right. Uh, but I also think that Superman is an interesting character and isn't boring, and lots of people disagree with me on that as well. So. I also agree with you on that. <laughs> people just don't like 100% good guys. No, I feel um, if Superman's boring, then you haven't read enough Superman. This is simple. Yeah. <laughs> like, I can't remember who it was, but someone, someone really put their finger on it when they said that, like, the superpowers part of Superman isn't what makes him super. It's mm. the fact that there is a person who has all that power and it hasn't corrupted them that makes him super. Um... And I think I think looking at it from that perspective, Michael's in a very similar sort of yeah. uh, area. Um, it's really interesting that uh, how how does someone act in a way that let, let's be honest is not a human reaction. Like it, most humans are by their very nature greedy, um, even if it's only in a, in a, what I would call maybe altruistic greed which is to say getting money and stuff so that you and your family's existence can continue in a comfortable and good manner um to be self-sacrificing is so difficult um and i think that the psychology required for that is fascinating at least to me yeah i'm with you on that awesome uh, so yeah, that's so that's my unpopular Dresden Files opinion. Uh, one of the other ones that I, I wanted to discuss with you, which gets brought up a lot, um, and I'm sure that we'll talk about it several times as we go through this series, but um, I think it was the number one or the number two post was that people don't like butters. Yeah, I think we've discussed that in the past, because I think I, I noticed this on... Um... It might have been Jim's AMA actually, or something like that. But um, yeah, there's I, I, I've noticed it more as well now lately that a lot of people seem to say butters is a bit of a Gary Sue. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I guess what's your thoughts on that before I go into mine? Um, I really enjoy him. I I see him more as an audience insert than a. A Jim Butcher insert, but yeah, um, I can understand people's issues with him, um, it, like especially with the again spoilers. Uh, this is for spoiler for Skin Game. Uh, with him taking up a sword of the cross, I understand why people had had issue with that, uh, and I don't think that Jim necessarily put enough groundwork in for it. 
But that being said, um, I enjoyed it. Um, I I like him and Harry's relationship, especially in the later books when he both wants to trust and uh, trust Harry and be a good friend, but uh, there is good reason for him not to. Yeah. Um, the only bit that ever really made me go like, oh, come on, was, um, I think it's in Peace Talks, uh, we get a scene where Butters is having a threesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I was just a bit like, I'm not sure that that was necessary. Uh, <laughs> that feels more like a, I don't know, yeah, um, Thomas Wraith kind of thing than a Butters thing. Defos. Can't believe I just um, said What's your thoughts? Um, yeah, mine's, I guess, not too similar, or not far off from yours, but I enjoyed him in like a much smaller role when he was just a kind of, oh, you know, you've cracked your skull open. Don't worry, I know a guy. And then that'd be that. We're thrown into butters. Who's yeah. just you guys need to be more careful. Um, I didn't mind him becoming a knight of the cross. I think more than anything, I was just surprised because, given, look, I mean, he's definitely become a lot more confident and everything like that. But I think, I think I preferred a bit more time with him with how he was in a ghost story, where he was carrying around Bob and using Bob for like knowledge and stuff like that. Yeah, I enjoyed him in, in Skin Game for that as well, where there's that there's a great chase scene in oh, Skin yeah. Game where Harry's gotta like chase after him through the city because Harry's kind of he's working more in, in like the grey between good and bad. Mm. Uh, and Butters is, is very much like a good guy at that point. Um and I really enjoyed that scene. And I kind of yeah, I would have liked more of him like that. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah, that's um, probably it for me with Butters. I don't, I, I don't really care. Like, you know, like, I, it it doesn't really come across to me as an issue that whatever he's doing, because the character's pretty tight anyway. Yeah, I, I don't. It definitely doesn't take anything away from me. I'm just having to read through the comments, which you know. Take it with a pinch of salt because it's Reddit. But one of the ones that really that really just made me go like, "What?" Is someone was like, "Yeah, he just ruins every book for me." And it's like, it, <laughs> "Why are you still reading the Dresden Files then? If you feel every book's been ruined, <laughs> <laughs> it is an odd one." Um, I I definitely don't feel that way. No, nor do I trying to find there was one that i found on here which i really liked but don't know how far down it was um i think i think like the gist of it was uh when when never really shown how like powerful the senior council slash white council are like it's always told that how dangerous and powerful they are but it's never shown um yeah i i thought that was an interesting one because i think for the most part, I agree. I think we know we've seen Ebenezer a bit, or it's told us, you know, he dragged the satellite from out of space and all that kind of bollocks. Um, mm. Listens to wind, you know, shape shifted and took on a Nagloshi. Um, but I mean, outside of that, those two, I 
I can't really recall anything from the scene. But then that's kind of like I, I did the tweet about Mab the other day saying if Mab was at her weakest in Peace Talks Battleground, do you think we'll see her at her strongest in, you know, one of her future books? And I I mean someone was like, I hope not. And we had a few people saying that, you know, we oh we'll definitely get it, it'll be badass. But at the same time I think like I don't I wouldn't really want that like I feel that kind of ambiguousness around the council especially I think hmm. I think them being in that area has just worked really well for them yeah like it's not something I feel I need to see <laughs> if anything I think it I think something that uh, a lot of people I don't know, like a lot of fans of any series, and and I've been there myself. Always like to go, oh, what if this person did this, yeah. or what if this person was there, um, or like, what's this person's power level? Uh, I mean, Dragon Ball Z is great for this. Like, um, uh, and power levels of bullshit is something that gets thrown around a lot in uh, DBZ abridged. Which, if you're a fan of it, all all power to you. Uh, I I also love it. Um, but what um what I, what I, what I'm trying to say is that uh a sometimes the mystery is better than the solution yeah um i like if you start assigning power levels to everyone um it just demystifies the whole process and doesn't give room for things to surprise you um like, I know, like, in the X-Men, they have, like, Omega mutants, which are, like, the most powerful ones that manipulate, like, forces of nature and stuff. Mm. Um, but that, that's... I would rather... Because I know, like, Iceman and Storm are both considered Omega mutants because they manipulate powers of nature and stuff. But Storm, obviously, has always used things on, like, a a, a grand scale with her powers. But Iceman, traditionally, isn't, isn't really hasn't. Yeah. Um, and I liked it more when everyone was considered to be of the same power level, um, but everyone could surprise you. So, like, um, Wolverine, like, had the bone claws at one point, uh, and that was, like, a, a surprising aspect of his mutation. Uh, Iceman, one of my favourite Iceman abilities is that he, he can create a snowstorm, and then the snow that forms is actually made up of tiny Iceman clones that he can manipulate all at once. Yeah, uh, which is really cool. Um, but like everyone had the ability to to jump up to that level, and everyone else had the ability to be weaker. Like uh, Storm, uh, fighting Callisto, who's the head of the Morlocks, because Storm's got claustrophobia, and the Morlocks live in the sewers. Um, she like is massively depowered in that fight, um, mm. and I just find that that more interesting. Um, yeah, and and I think uh, with the White Council as well, I, I want them to be able to surprise me and surprise me both in how strong they are and how weak they are. Yeah. Um, like, uh, I would be... The way it is now, the Merlin of the White Council could be revealed to be a near godlike power and it would still fit. 
or could be re revealed to be a complete shyster who can only do very limited power because he's had to make so many deals and barters mm. and stuff with various entities that he's basically powerless. Yeah. Um, and either would be entirely legitimate and possible. Yeah, I mean, I it's one of those things where I'm fine with it whichever way it goes. And the same goes for Mab. I, I don't really care about seeing her fight at her strongest. I mean, the point, in my head, the point of her having the win tonight and stuff like that is that she doesn't have to. Mm. And I guess if she was at full power in her Peace Talk Battleground, we wouldn't have had Battleground, I guess. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and I feel like as well, because we've seen Titania at full power, that you can basically extrapolate from that what Mabbit full power would look like. Mm. Um, if you really, if you, if that's what you need, then yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, there's a couple of I, I really recommend if you're a fan of the Dresden Files having a look at this this thread on Reddit because uh, there's some great some great opinions and some not so great opinions and. It's just some very interesting discussion that you might want to weigh in on. Um, one of the the other ones that I I think is a really interesting one to discuss, and I, I think this might be the last one that we pick out, um, is uh, a post by No Mooseville, mm. uh, which says Jim isn't an amazing writer. He's good at what he does, but he's not what some people around here seem to think he is. I've seen the Dresden Files compared to Lord of the Rings multiple times, and they aren't even close to being comparable in talent or content. This doesn't make Jim bad, nor does it make the Dresden Files inferior, but it's urban fantasy noir with a ton of pop culture. It's pulpy and fast-paced, and that's fine. My comeback to that, I guess, and um, is also something that I, I can see also uh, already in the comments, is that Jim's not trying to be talking. Yeah. Uh, it's different genres, different writers. I always if... find the idea of um, compare like everything, every fantasy book I feel that gets big, like uh, Game of Thrones stuff like that. Um, I feel everything always gets compared to Lord of the Rings, and I, I get why it is a benchmark in that genre, I guess. But I don't, I don't know. I, I feel if you're throwing it in the fantasy genre, you've not read it. <laughs> I, I don't really consider yeah. it. Fantasy, like Tolkien's style is very highbrow literary kind of stuff. It's, I mean, I don't know. I've, I've not thought of my answer beyond saying that. But, and that's not to discredit would, fantasy at all or anything else. Uh, it's, it's just, I would say it's, it's to, to the fantasy genre what Frankenstein is to the science fiction genre. Yeah. It's, um, the it's the point where literary where like um literary fiction i mean it's maybe not the best term for it but like classical fiction crossed into that genre and opened it up to a mass market yeah. um and so in a lot of ways it's a it's got it's got parts of classical literary fiction in it in other ways, um, it's got things that are now considered um, uh, stereotypical of the genre or um, 
oh god, what's it called? Like where it's something that you just wouldn't use because it's uh, like cliches. It's got genre cliches in it. Yeah. Um. Uh, uh. Lord of the Rings definitely has a lot of what would be considered now uh, fantasy genre cliches. Um. And, um. That, yeah, you just can't make that comparison. Um. <laughs> I mean, Dresden Files is uh, like the human descendant of Lord of the Rings uh, monkeys a couple of years, like a couple of thousand years ago. It, it's mm -hmm. the whole genre has has evolved with with the times. Writing and language has evolved. Like you find a writer now that writes in the same style as that, uses the same words, the same language, like. I think Lord of the Rings was initially published. I want to say 1955. Uh, I'll just double check that anyway. But I mean, you're coming from like either way. You're coming from like over half a decade from when like the first Dresden mm -hmm. book came out. Oh, you were close. Well, the last one was published in 1955. The first one was published in 1954. I'm not far off then. Hell, they were published. It was July nineteen fifty four, November nineteen fifty four, and then October nineteen fifty five. Mm. You wouldn't get that now. <laughs> no. I mean, I think it was written in one kind of massive lump because it was it was intended as one book, wasn't it? Yeah, and then it got broken into like Fellowship, Two yeah. Towers, Return, and yeah. then they got broken into two books each. Which I don't know if that was a publishing choice or if it was just a kind of aftermath of like rational paper or some shit uh, post World War Two, but I don't know. <laughs> Possibly, I mean, I'm laughing, but at the same time, yeah, uh, I, it, it's entirely possible. Yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things. I mean, to be fair, it's mm. a decade after World War Two, so I, I don't know. But, um, yeah. Make of that what you will. <laughs> if you have the answer, let us know. If you want. <laughs> well, I think, yeah, in, in general, um, the fantasy genre's moved on. They're not really comparable. No. Um, I don't think any... I don't think either Tolkien or Jim Butcher would claim to be a great writer. Mm. I'm not sure that anyone really can. Um, it's it's a very subjective term, but um, uh, in the epic fantasy genre, especially of the 1950s, yes, Tolkien was king. Uh, in the urban fantasy, urban fantasy detective genre, I guess if you want to call it that, of uh, the the noughties and beyond, uh, Jim Butcher is is a new king there. Uh, they they both are, are big uh, names in their respective genres, and I think that's kind of the best you can say out of that. Mm. Um, is there anything like yeah more that you'd um, you'd throw in? No, not not. I mean, there's quite a lot, but I feel we've been talking about it now for quite a while. So I don't know if you wanted to move on to the grave peril section. We probably should move on to the Dresden Files book club. I just saw the time reading. I was like, oh, this is going to be a long one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. 
so yeah, um, if you want to get in contact with us uh, with your Dresden files and popular opinions, drop us an email, get in our Facebook group, get us on Twitter, uh, and let us know what you think. Let us know what you think about the, the opinions that we have or the ones that we we talked about uh, from from the Reddit uh, comment thread. We'd really, really like to hear kind of what you guys think. Um, and we'll either get back to you or we'll, we, we could even talk about it on the show, depending on what you've got to say. Um, so, yeah, uh, that's awesome. Um, moving on to the Dresden Files Book Club. Uh, and this week we are covering chapters 21, 22, 23 and 24 of Grave Peril, the third book in the Dresden Files series. Um and so far, we've been having an absolutely awesome time with it. I think it's fair to say, yeah. um, it's a a great book. Yeah. Sorry, Rob, did I cut you off? No, like I wasn't sure if I was going to say anything else or not, so I just went with yeah. Just said awkwardly. <laughs> um. So, uh, yeah, grave peril. Uh, last time in grave peril, uh, we had um. A couple of, of pretty fun chapters, actually. Uh, kind of the the detective worky meat of the book, uh, and uh, a little bit of rising tension. Uh, so Dresden got home after his encounter with. Uh, oh God, I keep blanking on their name. I, I call them Barbie and Ken uh, in my head, but that's not the name. The, the uh, vampire. Yeah, Hamilton. Um, Kyle. The Hamiltons. Kyle. Yeah. Kyle and Kelly Hamilton, yes. Uh, he got uh, home goofy on their, their saliva because it had a kind of a narcotic effect. Uh, he tried to keep it together but passes out. He dreamt of himself, Michael, and special investigations taking down an evil sorcerer, Kravos, who was summoning a demon. Uh, the memory went wrong and most of special investigations died. A huge junk chunk was bitten out of Harry by the demon. Harry woke up and rushed to his lab and dove into the magic circle there, terrified. He wakes up uh, with Bob, telling him that he thinks he knows what happened. Chapter 18, Bob and Harry tried to figure out uh, what was going on, and they worked out that Michael had created a demonic ghost when he slew Kravos's demon with a blade, with his blade, Amarakis. The demon is out for revenge and just took a large part of Harry's personality and power to manage it. In chapter 19, Harry tried to contact Murphy and she thinks that he's playing with her as she believes that she has already been contacted with him only 10 minutes ago. Turns out that the demon can look and sound like Harry and has already called Murphy to tell her that he's coming to special investigations. Harry raced across Chicago to special investigations and to Murphy's office where the demon was already attempting to torture Murphy had his hands like in her head, like um, Harry, Rudy and Stalins confronted the demon who used Harry's own magic, Ventus Servitas, to blast them aside. Harry tries to soul gaze Murphy and finds there is nothing there. Um, try, dry your eyes, those of you that have just read uh, Battleground. Um, Harry asks Stalins to get Kravos's kit out of evidence and he try and he puts Murphy to sleep. Uh, chapter 20 Harry goes to Michael's house to warn him. Michael tries to calm Harry, uh, but then they work out that charity is missing. Father Fortil rocks up 
because his car just happened to break down a block away from Michael's house. Uh, and so he's able to look after Michael's kids. Michael and Harry go to a corner grocery store where Charity was heading, but find that the demon version of Harry has Charity and has dragged her to Graceland Cemetery, the largest cemetery in Chicago. And yeah, do you want to take it from there, Rob? Yeah. So 21, Harry searches Graceland uh, Cemetery for Charity. Um, At the same time, he's contending with many other spirits that are like just roaming the graveyard. Um, And I didn't remember that bit, but we'll get back to that in a second. Um, Harry, like, hears the scream of Charity and he's going, like, runs towards where he heard the noise. And similar to like with Murphy, uh, evil demon thing pretending to be Dresden is kind of doing the whole brain massage thing on her. Um, and yeah, there's a, there's a bit of a scuffle be- between the two and oh my god, it's such a good confrontation. Um, yeah, like, ha- Harry gets shot through, <laughs> does he get shot through a wall or thrown through like a load of gravestones? I think it, I think it's like, yeah, into like a wall. Yeah, because I, yeah. Either way, he's, like, taken a pretty serious, like, not wound, but, like, hit, I guess. He's all, like, kind of dazed and shit like that. Um, And that's when Bilianchi appears and, you know, kind of has has a bit of on-off banter with him. Um, Offers to give him the power to save Charity if afterwards he'll turn himself in to her. And Harry takes this deal. Uh, Fortunately for him, Michael rocks up, and both of them, you know, kind of make a bit of a plan slash scheme. Uh, Michael goes down on Jesus goes down on the demon, goes to take down the demon. This is what I was meaning to say. Um, <laughs> Michael goes to take on the demon with uh, Amarachius, the sword of the crop, like you know, the knight sword. Um, and the description, or oh man, like. The light from the blade is casting shadows across the graveyard and stuff. It's it's pretty cool. Um, Harry tends to Charity, who starts to you know starts having contractions and explains that oh you know my water's just broke, so I'm gonna be having this baby now. Um, and yeah, like Harry Harry's like panicking because like anyone, I imagine you know if 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 I was sat next to someone who is my friend's wife or partner and she was a going into labor i have no idea what i'd do apart from maybe <laughs> flap my arms um so yeah so harry you know that you need towels yeah uh, towels and a net that's, that's about as far did you say towels and a net yeah to catch the baby <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how childbirth works. Um, <laughs> I don't think it comes out at like cannonball speed. <laughs> I know. I mean, for those listening, I, I, I know I understand how childbirth works. Um, I think. Um, <laughs> I, I don't have the forty, but I'm pretty sure that you don't need the net. <laughs> well, it's good to have anyway. But. Yeah. Uh, Always yeah. keeping net. Harry acts uh, pretty rationally, I guess, and you know, screams to Michael that you know 
screams, tells Michael, screams, tells Michael that, you know, this is happening. And understandably, that distracts Michael and allows the demon to get the drop on him and disarming Michael from the sword. Um, Harry sees there is like a nice little stream close by and decides to full on like American football tackle this demon straight into the steam. Steam? Stream. Uh, this destroys its physical body for now, but it vows vengeance. It, it vows to be back by the uh, next dawn. Mm. By sundown the next evening. And yeah, as we're kind of reeling from all that, Lianxi reappears and is like, oh, by, by the way, you uh, accepted my power, so we're, we're going to go now. And Har- Harry's like, but but this we didn't kill it. It'll be back tomorrow, and I need to deal with it. And Leanne, she's just like, not my deal, not my problem. Like, let's go. Come on. Um, Harry, understandably frustrated by this, picks up Amarachius, the sword that Michael dropped, um, and he goes to strike uh, Leanne, she down. And again, we went into this last week on how like the Knights of the Cross work, and you'll see how it develops here, but. This striking down Lianxi the way that Harry is intending to uh, breaks the rules of the sword and the Knights of the Cross, which means that the sword kind of loses its spark, I guess. It um, emits like the radiant light as before, but it kind of blinds Harry and causes him to drop the sword. Um, yeah. But making it temporarily powerless or powerless... Um, Leanne, she is now able to wield it herself. And she picks it up laughing, being like, oh, yeah, it's mine now. And then she's like, oh, yeah, I'll see you boys soon. Bye. And that's it. She, she buggers off. Um, and that rolls us swiftly into chapter 22. Um, Harry and Michael talk at the emergency room. Um, you know, Harry, Harry, not Harry, Michael was understandably distraught by the loss of the sword, feeling that even if he gets it back, he's no longer worthy of being a knight of the cross. Uh, this this again comes into the whole crisis of faith kind of aspect to his character that Pat's been talking about. Um, yeah, uh, Harry is looked over yeah. by a doctor, Talking but it, it seems that his wound has uh, healed, so the doctor's just like quit wasting my time, I've got actual patience to deal with. Um, and yeah, like, we get some sadish news from about Charity, which is she might not be able to have any more children, and that the child that she is pregnant with at the moment could be at risk. Um, Harry then comes to the conclusion that the demon must be commanded by someone else. Um, and I feel this is something Harry does far too often, especially with someone like Michael. He then kind of plays on Michael's guilt to keep him like in the fight in in like this whole story. Because Michael understandably wants wants to be his wife, wants to be with his wife, uh, wants to make sure she's going to be all right. And you know, if the child's at risk as well, then he's going to be in pieces. But Harry plays on that, and you know gets him to uh, commit to the cause, I guess you could say. Um, And then we barge hurriedly into uh, chapter 23. Harry tries to summon the demon himself, and he manages it, but the demon tries to attack him 
thankfully it doesn't do very well at that. Harry begins to uh, interrogate the demon, being like, who's summoning you? Who's Why are you after these people? Who's making you do it? And the demon's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, yeah. Uh, Susan uh, also calls at this point, and Harry is like, T tell her I'm busy. I've just summoned a demon. And Michael's like, I, I don't know what you're doing down there, but uh, better not be anything bad. And you know, Harry's, tr it requires a lot of concentration, summoning, and you know, circles and all that jazz. Um, but in any case, not be I, shenanigans. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> the ultimate outcome from this is Harry has, I think, put a bit of a binding on the creature, which means that it can't hurt Michael. Murphy, possibly Susan, I assume I can't I've already forgotten. Um unless it kills Harry first, which is the I guess the compromise here. Um Michael disapproves, who wouldn't? Uh and then yeah, Harry decides that they're going to Bianca's weird red court vampire party as guests. So they do that. Um and yeah. Chapter twenty four. Here we go. We arrive at the uh, Bianca's party, and we meet Thomas Rafe, another very significant character in the series, along <clears throat> along with his partner Justine. Um, what we find out here is Thomas is a white court vampire, and he is part of one of the three courts that are currently mentioned, being the White Court, the Black Court, and the Red Court of Vampires. Um, yeah, Harry and Michael unveil their costumes at the party, and Michael is like full on Knight of the Templar, which is it fits with his character. He's he's like armed to the teeth with knives and daggers and shit as well, and it's oh, it's it's badass. Um, Harry reveals his costume, which is like a proper cheesy party costume for like a vampire, I guess a stereotypical vampire, which. Yeah. Defends everyone at the party, um, understandably, and he's also talking with that, you know, the the, the um, Bella Lugosi. I want to suck your blood. Yeah, ah, I'm going to suck your blood, like all that kind of shit. Um, and yeah, like this causes a lot of the party goers. I mean, like I said, it offends everyone there, um, and a lot of the party goers, I guess, are kind of getting ready to just kill Dresden on the spot until Thomas Rafe intervenes and I mean I, I guess at this point I mean Harry rules Thomas out as being the culprit who's controlling demons almost immediately but at this point I guess knowing that he's a vampire of sorts it's natural to suspect you know what's he up to why is he why is he helping them out why is he being so friendly and yeah we they carry yeah. on they enter the party itself and that is where we wrap up the chapters this week. Yeah. So, uh, first things first. How long is chapter twenty one? Jesus know, Christ! I listen. I, I listened to the audio <laughs> after that, and I think I had it playing at like bang on double speed. Because I was like, I've read it before. If I'm I playing it like, at double speed, um, I'll, I'll get all the key points. It'll be fine. Yeah, I, I I really felt like uh, 
it, that should have been about three chapters in itself. Yeah, like I in my head, I'm sure it was when I first read it. So clearly, the book has changed, <laughs> and, and I'm right. Hundred percent. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it 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 was wild. Like because uh, you've got Harry going into Graceland Cemetery, the description of Graceland Cemetery. Then you've got Harry and uh, the demon fighting. Then Harry losing that fight and being pretty much at like death's door. Mm. Then you've got the Nanshi in the bargain there. Then like Michael turns up and Michael starts fighting. Harry finding out that. Uh, Charity is pregnant. Then Michael losing Amarakius because the demon basically does like a Mexican standoff thing where it gets like a big gravestone. It's like, I'm going to drop this on Harry and Charity if you don't drop Amarakius. Mm. Then you've got Harry working out how to actually defeat the demon and rubber tackling it into the water. Then you've got the Nanshi turning up. Then like Harry trying to escape the Nanshi and using the sword. Then you've got the sword failing on him. And then finally you've got Lenanchi taking the sword and disappearing. And then Michael being like, oh my God, Harry, what have you done? Um, it's it's crazy amount of action in one chapter. Yeah. Um, that being said, it's a hell of a ride. Um, if Especially your first time around when you don't know which way any of that fight's going to go. Um, even rereading it, I was concerned for charity, definitely, yeah, or the baby at least. Um, yeah, yeah. There's a bit where because she's like the demons like put her on. It calls it a a beer, um, but like a, a a like a bed kind of deal, like yeah, um. Like you, like you find in various kind of uh, mausoleums and stuff, uh, the demons put her on one of those and is like fiddling with her mind or whatever, um, and she falls off it and then like it says how she's like curled around the baby. Mm. Um, I I was I was really worried, um, and uh, I I think definitely the first time you you're watching that, and the other thing that that I kept thinking was. If the demons got into her mind during all this, because there's definitely a point where the demon has its fingers in her mind, yeah, surely that's got to affect the baby somehow. That's what I was wondering, but I don't know. I'm not. Hmm. I mean, I guess we knew there was going to be all the like fighting and shit anyway, so I guess we knew something was going to happen physically, but. I don't know. It'd be interesting to. I I would l- like to see if Jim ever brings that up again. I don't think he has yet. Um. But yeah, the carpenters dealing with like a like a Damien from the Omen would yeah. be <laughs> interesting. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah so we've got a couple of uh, little talking points um, it's there's, there's so much happens in this um, I mean if you if you saw our notes I mean chapter 21 was just like a, a couple of paragraphs on its own but chapter 22 
2024 are all pretty meaty in their own ways. Um, so the first, so we've kind of talked a little bit about the fight at Graceland Cemetery, um, but what do you think of the, of the description of Graceland itself? I really liked it, especially. I, I don't know. It feels like ah, oh, like one of those really old kind of eighteenth, um, nineteenth century kind of cemetery graveyards. You know, like the kind of uh, stereotypical graveyard that you that comes to your head when you think graveyard. Yeah, where it's got like all like the statues, I, uh... and gargoyles, and shit for some reason. It, like, I always have that in my head. I, I I don't know if I can think of an actual place as an example, but um, I it made me think of um, I went to Glasgow uh, for a holiday about a year ago. I mm. really recommend it. Um, and uh, I went to they've got a necropolis there, yeah. which is basically just like a a super graveyard. Um, but they have it starts with like like normal tombstones and even like little plaques um and basically it goes up in this big swirl up a hill like a big spiral up a hill and each um grave is slightly bigger until you're getting up to like full mausoleums um and right at the top they've got this huge like cenotaph kind of thing um that's supposed to have like multiple rooms beneath it filled with various graves and things yeah um and it, yeah it, it made me think of that like that a, like a big mishmash of styles um because people are obviously buried in different eras and different styles and different types of stone go in and out of fashion or availability um it's really interesting um and I, I really like how Jim describes it, and I, I, I could all, I could picture it quite well. And it's a it's a place that comes up several times in the Dresden Files series. Um, I think it's the first time we see it, but it's yeah. far from the last. Um, and it's always a really interesting setting in the middle of Chicago. Um, I really enjoy it whenever it, it gets thrown in. I'm gonna have a look at what Graceland Cemetery actually looks like. I hope it looks like my imagination. I, I guess what I'm thinking of is, um, you, you know, the uh, graveyard between uh, Winchester University and where I was living in second year. I do know that graveyard. Yeah, Our listeners like, won't, but that's okay. Yeah, but, <laughs> but um, I imagine that, like, times ten. Yeah, it's it's definitely in that, that vein. They've got the uh, the girl... That lives in Graceland Cemetery. That gets brought up in later, um, later books. Um, yeah, some good time bits I got of her. In, uh, yeah. It... Did you? Yeah, like this was probably this sort of time back in second year, so 2014. Um, you know, they like mm-hmm. lock the gates at like 10 p.m. I think it is. Yeah, like. I went through like five minutes before 10 on my way to the gym, which is open 24 hours. And I got to the other side and the gate was already locked. And I turned around, went to the other gate and that was locked as well. So I was just like wearing tiny little gym shorts, just stuck in a graveyard. And 
Oh, no. like, what did you do? I mean, it had been raining as well, so I couldn't like get a proper grip on the wall. So like, annoyingly, it was like a club night as well. So loads of people were going past, but like in large groups. And I was like, I don't want to ask them for help because they'll just laugh at me and walk away. So like, every now and then I'd have to hide <laughs> behind the wall. But um, no, eventually like did some random dude walk past, and I was like, excuse me, mate, can you just stand there for a moment? And I like climbed the fence, the uh, gate, and then had to ask him to like make sure I don't land on my ass. <laughs> because again, wearing, like it's late October or something like that, and I'm wearing like little tiny gym shorts. So yeah, didn't I? I wanted some help there just in case, like my shorts got caught on the gate and tore off or something. But yeah, that's a fun story um... for you and everything else. For for our listeners, if you want to search West Hill Cemetery in Winchester, um, this is the university where me and Rob went, and uh, this is a graveyard that you pretty much have to walk through to get to the university, um, at least from the town, uh, city, uh, city with a little c. Yeah. Um, and it's this like weird, overgrown kind of, Countryish grave uh, graveyard, um, but I really, really liked the war memorial in it. Um, yeah. You'll you'll see this if you look at the pictures. Um, it's got a uh, a crucifix with a sword embedded in it, um, and I've always kind of thought it looks a bit like a, a knight of the cross sword. Um, it's it's very cool, and this is a, a very cool place that I and Rob both enjoyed. Uh, Hanging around at various points. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I see, seeing it is making making me like Miss Winchester. Um, let's yeah, okay, let's move on. Um, so yeah, Graceland Cemetery uh, is a really cool uh, recurring place in Dresden Files. Uh, the the pictures of Graceland Cemetery as well are, are beautiful. Definitely looks like a place I'd love to visit. And there's some incredible mausoleums. Um, I think my favourite has to be, there's one that looks like the Illuminati kind of pyramid. Um, Very interesting. Uh, Wondering what that means. Um, And I know that there's several different rumours and stories and ghost stories around the cemetery. So uh, if you're interested, go and have a look into it. Um, it's, It's a very cool, cool place by the looks of it. Um, it's a cemetery and arboretum. Ooh. So, uh, moving on, uh, we you, you kind of covered this in your recap, but I just wanted to talk a little bit about the cost of being Harry's friend again. It comes up here. Yeah. Um, I think Harry Dresden is a hard person to have as a friend. Um, and not a great friend always yeah it's it's a very weird one because i mean i can't really remember many of the other books at this point but i mean i guess his friends are always trying to do the right thing as well especially characters like michael and he definitely plays on that a bit a bit too much maybe yeah um I think that he 
he probably sees it as sometimes you just got to do this or that for whatever reason. Mm. Um, but it comes off sometimes that he he will manipulate people for the greater good uh, in his eyes, which is whew, problematic at best. Extremely. <laughs> um, yeah, it's... I don't know. I just... I, I really got the feeling, especially if I was charity, um, I would not want my partner to be involved with someone like Dresden. I feel her anger towards him is justified anyway. Yeah, especially when the, the, the thing that was attacking her looks like him. Yeah. Um, it just, like, that just cemented it for me. Like, I would not like Harry Dresden one bit after after that. Um yeah, I just it he just brings chaos and um and the way that even though he knows that Michael doesn't have his sword and therefore doesn't have his abilities He's still happy to bring Michael into um, a dangerous situation at the vampire uh, party, whereas he wasn't happy to do it with Susan because he doesn't, I don't know, like, does he value Susan more than Michael or does he see Michael more expendable because Michael's willing to put his life on the line? It's a tricky Um, one because you can put it down to the whole Michael kind of knows what he's dealing with anyway, so it would probably be know what to expect and would be resourceful. But on the other hand, you've got Harry, who is still at this point considered a bit sexist with how he kind of shields and protects women. Yeah. Um, one thing I definitely didn't bring up in our uh, unpopular opinions, I Including I will it. never fight the cause that Dresden isn't sexist, because <laughs> he definitely is sometimes. Um and yeah, maybe it is coming from that direction as well. Mm. Um, I hadn't thought of it that way, but I can definitely see that. So, um, so uh, I'm kind of coupled with that then is our next point, which is, is Michael Carpenter easy to manipulate I'm not sure, because I was trying to think of another example that immediately came to mind in like later appearances. But I feel... I don't know. I think the difference is that at this point, you know, like, Charity and the unborn baby are at risk because of what's just happened. So I feel maybe he doesn't have as much judgment as he would, usually. Whereas his later appearances and stuff, there's never, like... If there is a kind of situation where it's like, oh, if we go left now, we can kill them. He's very much a kind of like, not not like, okay, he's he's more compliant, I guess. But I think, I know his circumstances are different. We we don't really have him appearing again, where his family are, you know, hostage like they are now until much later. 
uh, even then the circumstances are completely different. The only thing I would say is that I feel like a lot of supernatural beings are able to prey upon the fact that uh, upon like the fact that Michael has to follow the rules yeah. kind of thing. Actually, yeah, that's definitely uh, shown a couple of times, isn't it? Yeah, but I don't know if that's I don't know if that's bad or if that's just what it is, you know? I think that's more what it is because that's kind of the rules of the um, swords as well. Like if he's fighting a demon and the demon surrenders, then I think the rules are that he can't strike it down. Yeah. I... I think that... uh... I mean, the rules that he plays by, it's never against his will. He he wants to do those things because he's a holy man. Yeah, like the, he's not there to kill, he's there to save lives, even those who are corrupt. That's probably a good way of putting it. Yeah. But I think it does make him more prone to... like. The like the 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 Lenonshi knows how Michael is going to react to something, whereas Dresden is able to be more chaotic. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if that's a manipulation thing or if that's. I don't know. I I, I guess it's more just. Uh, the difference between someone being lawful and chaotic to go down like the D and D route. Maybe I've, I've st- it's something I've never really given much thought to, to be honest. Yeah, I, it's an interesting one to think about, and maybe something we'll bring up later uh, in later episodes. But I think, in general, all I'd really say is that. Uh, it, it felt to me here that he he let himself be manipulated because he was he was emotionally compromised, and we've kind of talked about that. Yeah. Before anyway. Um. So, moving along, uh, the last bits to talk about are maybe the most interesting. So, I think every fan of the Dresden Files that I've talked to, at least. Uh, has cited the party at the Red Court's uh, kind of house, Bian- uh, Bianca's house, um, was one of the earliest favourite memories of many Dresden Files fans, and with very good reason. Um, Jim Butcher uh, is a is great at writing a party, uh, great at throwing in loads of new characters and loads of uh little like beats where we we see how different people react to meeting each other and the mixing of various different uh background characters is always fantastic um and this party is no different it's uh as we will we kind of we kind of only get the very beginning of the party here so next week will be our real party party paranet focus um but uh, even here, like we get a little bit of of what it's like, and um, we also get to meet 
two new characters who will be recurring characters all the way up to Battleground and beyond. Thomas Wraith, who is... Um, I can't remember what his official title is. I always think of him as a prince, but I can't remember either. Basically, he's he's in the higher, he's in line for the throne of the White Court. He's one of the the younger sons of the head of the White Court. Um, and the White Court vampires thrive on human lust. Um. So they don't have to take blood or anything from their victims. They just have to kind of get them all horny and go down that sort of path, uh, which makes some incredible moments, both in this book and later ones. Uh, and along with Thomas is his human, I guess, thrall uh, at this point. Um, yeah, I suppose that's a way of putting it. Uh, which is, yeah, uh, Justine, who is a, a young and extremely attractive woman who just kind of uh i don't know dotes upon thomas absolutely adores him and therefore is allowing thomas uh, is allowing thomas to constantly feed um the really interesting thing about thomas is that obviously almost immediately him and harry hit it off um and and seem to get on quite well um yeah what what do you kind of want to say about thomas here um. Yeah, I think when he was first introduced, when I, I say when he was first introduced, when I first read the book, I think I found his character intriguing because at this point we've only had red court vampires. We're introduced to one white court vampire, and the guy's like, I don't know, quite quite similar to Harry, and like he's quite snarky, I guess. Um. I know. I, I guess he definitely I was, has a bit of that. Yeah, and I think at this point it was just kind of looking forward to seeing how their characters interact with the rest of the book. Yeah. Um, I think he makes a really good opening here. Uh, a really good first impression. Um, and it only gets better with Thomas. Um, I, I think with the party scene that's about to go through and, and everyone kind of being like knives out for, for Harry and Michael, um, there needed to be someone who was different, uh, from that or else it would have just felt like, okay, everyone here just wants to kill us. Um, like there's nothing to get out of the situation. Uh, whereas Thomas makes for an interesting character who kind of is more, um, neutral, in the in the next kind of couple of chapters, yeah, um, it's really interesting as well to see someone who is able to play the vampire game, I guess. Um, yeah. And yeah, I think uh, if uh, so, I, I think yeah, he's he's a he's a really great character. Um, if you were to cast Thomas and Justine in our Dresden Files TV series or movie. Um, what's your immediate thoughts? Jesus Christ. Um, I was not prepared for that. Uh, <laughs> I suppose for Thomas, I, I don't know if the guy is a bit too old now, but um, shit. He was, in, he was in Lost season one. He played Boone. I think the actor's name's Ian Summerholder. 
Oh, yes, yes, I know who you mean. Yeah, like, I know, I imagine someone like that. Justine, Christ. I don't know. Um, no idea what the actress is called again, but um, the the love interest in Arrow, like the first season, um, Laurel Lance becomes Black Canary and all that kind of stuff. Okay. Uh, oh, in the first season, I, yeah, because I was thinking Felicity Smoke, but that's... Um, no, no, no. No, no. Laura Lance, actress, uh, I mean, is... We're both a bit too old for these roles now, I don't know. Uh, Katie Cassidy. Yeah, that's the one. Um... <laughs> Yeah, I could see her. I can I, I can get behind that. Um What about you? Yeah, I, I was just thinking then like <laughs> I asked the question. I should probably have a good answer. Uh <laughs> <laughs> um I'm gonna throw out that I think I would enjoy um, Tom Hiddleston yeah. as Michael. Uh, not Michael, fuck. As Thomas Wraith. Um, as he, has he appeared in like the, the Frankenstein stage show? Oh, okay. Where he had like the, the, the white shirt and stuff. Yeah. Uh, I just want to admit that I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about this, the right thing before I tell people to go there. Uh, <laughs> okay, it wasn't quite the look I was thinking of, but it uh, it is a good look there. Um, I always I like him with his long hair, um, kind of look. I think uh, I think Tom Hiddleston actually does a really is really good as a conflicted character and that is something that Michael really is to me mm. I guess Thomas yeah. um, fuck yes uh, <laughs> that's something that Thomas really is sorry because it's, it's Tom Hiddleston I'm like it can't be Tom Hiddleston to play Thomas it must be Tom Hiddleston to play someone who's not called Thomas yeah <laughs> uh, which is ridiculous and doesn't make any sense so just don't listen to me uh <laughs> Um, and then see the character of Justine for me is a really difficult one because you kind of want someone who looks like a like a Victoria's Secret model or like maybe like a bit of a brainless or like a a bimbo type I guess but then can also play very intelligent and very manipulative and very um, endearing. Um, not as she is now, but maybe like from a few years back, Margot Robbie kind of look. Yeah. Um, but then I feel like Margot Robbie's a bit too old looking. Yeah, I mean, it, they described Justine as looking about 19, didn't they? In this. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, um, yeah. I mean, like, I, to be fair, like, if if I was casting a Dresden TV what's show, what's Chloe Grace Moretz doing now? I don't know. 
<laughs> I, like after being freaking awesome as uh, uh, Hit Girl. Was she in a Stephen I, like, King her look thing could... recently? I know that, that she did carry a few years ago. A few years ago, that was like... Jesus, that must have been like 2012. I'm sure she did another one. Like, yeah. I don't. I might just. I might just be talking shit, but in my head she did misery. But I don't know if that's just me tripping balls or, or what. Yeah, I could believe it. Um, <laughs> I can now confirm a lot. there hasn't been a remake of Misery anytime recently, or at all. So. <laughs> Ignore that. Apparently she's going to be in an upcoming Tom and Jerry film. Um, a live action Tom and Jerry film. Um, well, I'm interested but now. She, she... <laughs> Love Tom and Jerry. Um, I, I too enjoy Tom and Jerry. I'm just not sure I need a live action one. Yeah, fair enough. But yeah, uh, she's still she's still doing stuff, um, and she has the the right kind of look, I would say. Um, and now that she's like a bit older, she's yeah. holy shit, she's younger than me. That's weird. Um, I thought she was. How old is she? She's twenty three, Rob. Really? Shit! I thought she was like close really? to our age. <laughs> oh, I feel so old. <laughs> and as for you, mate, you're just ancient, so. Thanks. <laughs> um, but yeah, I could see Chloe Grace Moraes doing like a Justine, but then I'd probably I wouldn't have I wouldn't have a tom hiddleston i was about to say tom holland and that was just going to go down a completely different route uh no i wouldn't have tom hiddleston uh as thomas next to chloe uh, chloe grace Moraes, or else it would look like there was too much of an age gap i think um i don't know who i'd have next to uh next to her anyway um so i think that pretty much covers this uh these chapters is there anything else you want to throw in not that I can think of off the top of my head. No. I feel like I've been particularly waffly today, so... Uh... I feel you've been less waffly, but I, I don't know. I don't really keep track. <laughs> um, 100% comment at what level of pat waffle you think uh, we've had today. Has it been potato waffle or has it been a more sweet uh, syrup-covered waffle? Um... Yeah, and yeah. with that, uh, Rob, do you want to take us out? Yeah, as always, thank you so much for the support. Uh, we've scraped over 2,500 downloads, which is uh, pretty cool. Um, as always, share, follow, subscribe. Uh, we're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, the podcast you can listen to on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean. You name it, we're on it. Um, if we're not on it, let us know. We'll fix that. Um yeah, next week we'll be covering chapters 25, 26, 27, and 28 of Grave Peril. So we will see you then. Um, yeah, enjoy the rest of the week. And that's uh, a goodbye from me, Rob Davis, and... Me, Patrick Lund. You've been listening to the Paranet Podcast, baby. See you next time. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>